Hello and welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom. My name is Helen Mully and the author in your classroom or wherever you're listening for this episode is someone who up until recently I only really knew because of his TV and radio work. However, it won't come as news to lots of you listening that he has another string to his bow because he's written four books for children about Toto the Ninja Cat already with more on the way. He is, of course, the ever-charming Dermot O'Leary. Welcome to the podcast, Dermot. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me, Helen. Delighted to have you. Now, as I said, most of us who aren't the target audience for your books, perhaps, will know you primarily as a, as a TV presenter. Mm. Um, nice work on Soccer Aid, by the way, the Thank other night. You. Appreciate Very good. <laughs> <laughs> but every time I mention Toto to friends with primary school aged children, they tell me how much their kids love your books. Is writing something you've always thought you might like to do? Yeah, well, actually, it's something I've always done. Um, it's just I'm lucky enough over the last five years for it to be published. So when I was probably seven or eight, I used to, my poor father used to, he had a very, very early Mac computer. Now, the kids that are listening to this will think, oh, that's like a laptop. It really <laughs> wasn't. It was this big, chunky word processor that my dad would, would bring home. And I used to be wowed by it because I, I could, play around with the um with the you know the, the cut and paste and I could you know sort of paint pictures on there and so forth it was incredible and I, over a period of time he would get a printer now I couldn't use the word processor or, or the keyboard or anything but I um I started to uh, write my own detective fiction when I was about seven or eight and I, I and I'd use the printer so I'd nick all his paper and then I'd take it round our estate where we live just outside Colchester and I'd sell it for 5p per story <laughs> and <brilliant>. uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that's where I kind of started, and it never really left me. And then, and then I was when when you're lucky enough to work in an industry like television and radio, you end up you do a lot of research and you end up writing a lot of scripts and ideas. So that kind of creative bow, I suppose, was always ticked. And it was only about five years ago where I had this idea based around our actual cat Toto, who is blind, who's who's this lovely uh, Italian cat, very fluffy Italian <laughs> cat that we adopted. My wife actually delivered. Uh, in Italy, my wife helped deliver her, help a cat deliver her kittens. Oh my! I know it's extraordinary, isn't it? And we and we there were she had four four kittens, and we uh, friends of ours looked after two of them, and then we brought them over about five years ago, and um, or seven years ago rather. And uh, and about five years about five years ago, I realized we realized Toto was 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 pretty much fully blind, but she had these incredible reactions. So she could see if a bird was flying over in the garden, she'd suddenly look up, or if you were playing with her. Uh, she'd be able to um, you know, snag the toy mouse that you were playing with her with. So we started calling it a little ninja. Yeah. And then the idea, my idea started to come from there. That, hang on a second. What if she was an actual ninja and, 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 you know, during the day she just hung around and slept and played and at night she went out and she solved crimes. Which is essentially what we all think when we look at cats, isn't it? Exactly. So I started with that. And then actually over, over, the, over a period of the books, now I've, I've tried to create this whole alternative world that, animals in London have. So that's everything from the fact they travel on the tube because the chap that designed a lot of our of the tube in London was a, a, a chap called Leslie Green. So when I started researching this, I thought, well, hang on a second. What if Leslie had a cat who I call Cornelius Green, who whilst Leslie wasn't looking, came in and changed the blueprints and the plans. So actually there was an animal tube that got built 
uh, unbeknownst to Leslie, on top of the of the normal tube. So that's how the animals travel around. I have the parakeets of London of, uh, of Regent's Park. They essentially are the the, the, the motorcycle couriers. So they go and deliver all the messages and so forth to everyone. Um, the police dogs act as the as the as the CID. So uh, we have Sheila Snarlingfoot, <laughs> who is uh, is head of the police. So all the animals kind of have their own world as well. And I've really enjoyed really enjoyed painting that world. When I was growing up, I grew up outside London in an Irish family, and uh, we would come and see our Irish family in London very very often. Uh, every sort of two weeks. So I fell in love with London as a city quite early. And, and my auntie Angela would always play those wonderful old movies like Oliver Twist or My Fair Lady that painted that lovely Victorian picture of London, the Keynesian picture of London. And that's what I wanted to pay homage to in the books as well. And it, it's really clear there's a real affection for London in, in certainly in, in the most recent book, which, which I've mm. just finished. And as you say, a lot of detail in there about historical London. And you, you talk about research. Did you, did you, delve right into the the history of London for this oh yeah I mean did you enjoy that oh very much so from the start I mean there's a very famous jazz club in London called Ronnie Scott's uh that's been going there for years and actually I I, I kind of used that as the inspiration for at the very start of the book um Catface who is a, a kind of perennial <laughs> character Stop in the, the book names. who is a who is a who is a who's actually his, his real name is Alexander Ratnoff the 333rd and he is a he's kind of rat royalty but he looks a bit like a cat, so um, <laughs> the rat population of North London kind of chucked him out because they, because he was, as far as they was concerned, you know, he looked like their sworn enemy. So he ended up living his life like a cat. So now he's kind of a, a kind of almost like this species fluid cat. So he's kind of now <laughs> accepted by by uh, his father and the rats of North London. But he's also um, he he also kind of he qualifies he's a real polymath, which means they can do so many different things. He's a qualified tour guide. Uh, he went to rat law school and now he's actually also a jazz musician. So it starts <laughs> off with him playing jazz at Paul's Robinson's uh, Milk and Jazz Bar in Soho in London, which is modelled on Ronnie Scott's. And then we go to the Tower of London where the Ravens are effectively a, a, an elite um, fighter squadron who guard the <laughs> crown jewels. Um, and we have the riverboat, which uh, is essentially, I don't know if you've, you guys have ever travelled on the Thames Clipper, but it's this great way of getting around London on the river and people use it to commute and so forth. So I got the, I got the animals on that. But, but in terms of, um, and the water voles are on that, but in terms of... Obviously. Yes, of course. But in terms <laughs> of research, I, I had a great trip to the Tower of London where I met Pete, who's the chief yeoman there, who was wonderful and, and really generous with his time. And he showed me around and that kind of gave me a lot of inspiration. Um there's a terrific museum called the Museum of London, which which is kind of it's in the Barbican, so it's not really around the the, the sort of typical area where most of the museums in London are. Most of them are these incredible big kind of almost Gothic buildings down in in Kensington, and actually the Museum of London is is in is in the Barbican, so it's quite a new building, but it's it gives you a terrific idea about London through the ages, and in particular. Um, uh, the medieval London, which is where I start the book, because the book starts with with uh, Dick Whittington and, and his cat Tom, and that's where the legend is kind of born, and then through to the Victorian period, and then through to kind of the, you know the, the first and second world war and how London is there. So that's a great museum. And then uh, uh, recently, me and my wife have started doing these walking tours for our birthdays, really, with uh, this wonderful tour guy called Simon, who's taken us. Uh, I did one in on Blackfriars Bridge, which is one of the big bridges in London that separates the north and the south. Yeah. And I was able to, and th- that was like a theatre tour guide. So you'd start in the north and then go all the way along by the Globe Theatre. And and that was, it was painted a really lovely picture of, 
of, uh, of kind of Shakespearean London. And then we did one for my wife Dee's birthday and we, and we did it in Hampstead. And, um, and there's a wonderful ponds up in at the, at the very top of Hampstead. There's this pond that's kind of almost got no right to be there. And it, and it's kind of a, it's a natural pond, but it's not a spring. So it's, it's so most of it's rainwater and it was man-made. And it was man-made because at the time, that part of uh, the top of Hampstead was, was one of the highest points in London. And so when the horses and carts went to the top, they needed somewhere for the horse to drink and for the carts to cool down because otherwise their braking mechanisms would jam on the other side. So um, this pond was there for the, uh, for the, for the carts. And it, it, if you look at it now, uh, so I think it's called Whitestone Pond. You, the, uh, there's two ramps on either side where, the, where the, the horse and cart would go in. And I just, that for me was, was terrific. So I thought it'd be a great place for the crown jewels to be, to be hidden. So, um, yeah, it's given me a lot of inspiration. That's great. I'd love the way that all of those stories are woven into, um, the mystery jewel thief book. Um, and actually I, I would love it if, if you could read us a little bit from the book oh, Dermot, and, we could, yeah. and we could talk about it. So tell you what, let's have a little pause while you, pick up your book and find the extract that you want yes, and of course. get your reading glasses if you need them. <laughs> and, uh, and then we'll be right back. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom with this episode's guest, Dermot O'Leary. Dermot, you're going to read us an extract from your newest children's book, Toto the Ninja Cat and the Mystery Jewel Thief. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about where we are in the story before we start to get us yes. in the mood. So, hang on a second, I'll pick up the book. You can, hear, can you hear the book? Oh, I can. Yeah, Nothing like the sound of a proper goodness. book. Wonderful, yeah. <laughs> so this extract is a couple of chapters into the book. So Toto, my heroine, is helping to look after the French ambassador. That's kind of her mission. It's quite a, it's quite a, a mundane mission for Toto. They're kind of helping uh, their friend Sheila, who's uh, head of the police dogs, out. You know, it's, it's a kind of diplomatic mission, so she's not expecting too much to go wrong. Uh, looking after uh, the, the French ambassador on a visit to see the crown jewels of the animal world, which is an amazing diamond collar kept safely under lock and key at the Tower of London. So if you can imagine the scene, we have Toto, we have the chief uh, uh, raven, whose name is Cyril. We have her brothers, Silver and, to and Socks, who have just come along for the ride, who are kind of like her deputies. Um, her ninja boss, Larry, is there. The French ambassador, who's a rat called Monsieur Raton Laveur, which actually means raccoon in French, but it was nice such touch. a wonderful, yeah, I know, but, and he's not a raccoon, but it was such a wonderful word <laughs> that I just, I thought it's so terrific that I wanted to call him Monsieur Raton Laveur. <laughs> and the home secretary of the, um, of the animal world over here, uh, who's a very stuffy cat called Sir Wigbert Fluffy Paws the third, uh, who does no, he's no fan of the ninjas whatsoever. Um, so here we go. Old Tom's collar is the most sacred object in our kingdom. It was bequeathed by old Tom himself, the first animal guardian of Britain. His vow to protect our world has now passed down to Larry and Toto, said Cyril, the chief raven. Whilst the other animals hung on every word, Sir Fluffypaws was having none of it. It was clear he wasn't a fan of the ninjas. Rolling his eyes, he interrupted rudely. Yes, yes, all fine. Can we just see the jewels? Cyril, unflustered, continued. Only two keys exist in the world. This one, he said, I keep in my plumage. The other is kept by the current holder of Tom's post, Larry. Without these keys, it's simply impenetrable. Now, if you'll follow me. He opened the door with a flourish and they all climbed the stone stairs beyond. 
Oh, my days. I can't wait to see this collar, Sock said as he bounded up excitedly. I've only seen it in pictures, but all I know is it's so beautiful. Silver, her other brother, nudged Toto as they climbed the stairs and saw her beam with pride. To think, one day, you'll be holding that key, sis. If those cats in Italy could see us now. After two flights, the party arrived at a landing. Cyril unlocked another door, which led to a small circular room, at the centre of which was a velvet curtain. Behold, he announced, and he drew the velvet curtains to reveal nothing. It was just an empty glass case with its door wide open. Everyone gasped. The whiskers on Larry's face drooped, and Cyril didn't look too much happier. The two old friends stared at each other in disbelief, as if to ask the same question. How could the collar be gone? The first animal to regain some composure was, unfortunately, Sir Wigbert Fluffypaws III. This is an outrage! What do you two have to say for yourselves? You've lost the most precious thing this government owns, not to mention the embarrassment this has caused in front of us to our distinguished guests, he shouted. Oh, mon ami, I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation, the ambassador piped up. He seemed to be trying to defuse the situation. Oh, oh, there's an explanation, all right. One of these two, or both of them most likely, have stolen it. Oh, what a cliffhanger. Okay. I know. I know. Every, everybody's going to be rushing off to go and read the book. Don't go yet. I want you to read the book, but I want you to listen to the, the rest of this podcast first. Derma, I, I have to ask you, how much fun do you have thinking up the names for your characters? Oh, they are just brilliant. The best. I have the best time. I have the best time researching it and I have the best time writing it. And I love being able to take, because most, mostly what I do is live television and radio. Yeah. It requires a different, very different set of skills. You have to, it's all about preparation, definitely. But then when you are live, you have to think on your feet. And actually what I love about this is it's almost the opposite. It's, it's a, there's an awful lot of preparation that goes into it, but you can just let your mind and your imagination wander and have so much fun and, and, and not worry too much about, as long as you do your homework, you know, <laughs> as in you do your research, not worry too much about, wasting a day if you go down a like what i call a rabbit hole of different ideas and writing down ideas sometimes they work sometimes they don't work but i really love the research part of it yeah yeah it, i think the enjoyment of, of writing really comes through the whole book well, that's nice so nice of you thank you yeah it's a joyful book but there's there's something else that strikes me about the book as well when i was reading it and that's i think it's a very kind book Oh, that's a lovely thing to say. I think it is. there are there are villains and there and there are heroes but i love the fact that it's actually based on the view that that animals on on the whole and you know and, and by extension people I guess really just want to get along even if they're different from each other and, and supposed to be enemies I really got that sense from the book but you know I do think that um I, I'm sure a lot of that's subconscious uh, and but I do think that's I do think that's the case and I do think that people for the most part uh, are kind and I think we should try and see the good in other people and and I think the world we live in now, whether it's through the very stressful times we live or because of where we find ourselves with technology and and there's no point trying to ban any of that because the genie's out of the bottle, mm. you know, those things exist. So it's about living with them and, and actually making our lives uh, not so dependent on them and our happiness not so dependent on them. And I think that the way we try and do that is to try and be more empathetic towards people and give yourself enough time to enjoy your life as well. And I think, you know, I think we, we definitely need, and this is why I think that, that the generation that are coming up is so important because we, we desperately need, I think, to be less impatient and or more, or more patient and, and, and just a bit, show a bit more empathy towards other people and try and understand where they're coming from. 
yeah that that's that's so true and i and i think actually reading and books have a really important part to play in that because reading a book encourages empathy in a way that perhaps consuming a, a film or a tv program doesn't and um, did did you read a lot as a, as a child, Dermot? Oh yeah, I mean, I was. Um, do you know, I, I didn't read too well up until, and I don't really remember this, but I didn't read too well up until I was about six or seven, and then I had a terrific teacher, um, and my parents read to me all the time, so I, I was lucky in that regard. But I had a terrific teacher um, that my mum credits with with kind of bringing my reading on. Uh, but I don't remember that. All I remember was I, I, I've never really not read, and I've always, I've always been engrossed in a book. I, I can't remember a time in my whole life that I haven't had a book on my bedside table, whether that's a kid's book or, or you know, a, sort of some crime fiction I'm reading at the moment. And I, I agree with you in that I can think there's a wonderful thing about it in that it can take you somewhere completely different, and you can learn so much from books. And I think you learn a lot about yourself when you're reading as well, because I think it I think it gives you a the discipline of spending time on your own, which I think is really important too. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's it's invaluable for 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 kids to read. And the thing is, it doesn't matter what you read. Yeah. It's it's not necessarily you don't have to read the most complicated book in the world. It can be a comic. It can be you know, there's value in every single thing you can read. The most important thing is, I think, is to, is to do it. Yeah, and and I'm sure all the the teachers and parents listening will will agree with that. Um. I going back to going back to Toto and um the the book I I have to ask you something mm. um I have to ask you about the capital letters now for for listeners who haven't yet seen the books um I should explain that on every page there are some words or phrases that really jump out at the reader because because they're printed in in big bold yeah. capital letters and was this was this your idea was this something that the editor snuck in what what's what's going on do you know, I think I'd, I wish I could get Alison, who's uh, who's kind of in charge of the layout on my book with you right now, because you you started saying that, and, I, and my immediate reaction was, "Is there?" So I, had to pick up, <laughs> so I had to pick up the book, and you know what? You're absolutely right. There is. Um, I can only assume that. I mean, Alison just. I mean, that she's a genius. Uh, Alison, so essentially, is in charge of the layout and design of my book. Right. So it's a real team effort. So I write the book, obviously, and my editor, Kate. I'll send it to her. Kate will then come back and say, well, yes, I think this works and this doesn't work. And it's all suggestions. So it's up to me as to whether I take those suggestions or not. Yeah. But I, I tend to overwrite and knowing that um, I might need to trim back a little bit, but I prefer that. I prefer it that way. And then we send it to Alison and Nick. Now, Nick, Nick East is my illustrator, who's, a, who's actually a, a terrific author himself. The illustrations, by the way, are oh, fantastic. Great. They are so good. Um, thank you. He's brilliant, isn't he? And, yeah. and, and so me, I keep in touch with Nick throughout the year, really. And if there's anything that I find um, that might help him without meaning to tread on his toes, I send him an, a picture of, for example, in the second book, there's a, a milk bar, which is kind of like an animal pub where they go and drink milk, which is called, uh, which is called the Sour Saucer that I, I stuck on the Blackfriars Bridge in London. And, I, and I, I was walking past on the South Bank and I looked across and the tide was low so I could see the underneath the Blackfriars Bridge. And I thought, well, I'll take a picture of that and send it to Nick. So he's got a good idea as to just in, in, the, the image I'm trying to conjure. And to me, Nick, actually, a lot of illustrators and authors don't really communicate, but I, I've got a very good relationship with Nick. So I send him pictures and, and whatnot, and then that he can and, 
or, or, or you know, I, I leave it up to him as to whether he wants to use them or not as inspiration. But he just gives them an idea as to what I'm trying to write about. Yeah. And then um, and then him and Alison will then kind of, he'll do the illustrations, send them back to me, and I'll say, oh, I think this guy needs to be a bit bigger or smaller or if it's a new character. But for the most part, I, I've got so little. I, we, we're singing off the same hymn sheet so well. That I've got so little I need to kind of talk to him about because he's you know he just he gets the characters and he's embodied the characters as much as i have now and i can't imagine toto and silver and socks looking any different and then alison padley i'm going to name her and shame her <laughs> comes up with the ideas of of where to put the illustrations and then as you say these these big um kind of like block caps yeah but i think they work i, I think they do i think they, they kind of pull you through i mean it's a fast moving book Anyway, the action happens happens really quickly, and I, I think it, it kind of keeps you bouncing along from from page to page. Something else that I wanted to talk about a little bit, and it goes back to what we we're talking about about it being a, a kind book. I, I guess is that it's also an inclusive book. Yeah, um, and I know Toto is is blind because in real life Toto is is blind. But what I love because I came to the series with book four. Yeah, so I haven't yet I haven't yet read the the first three. Yeah. Um. And it was almost mentioned in passing that that sh- that she was, but you know, it wasn't. It wasn't a big story point. Mm. That is just who she is. Yes. And I just think that is so important in books to have to have characters who are perhaps, you know, without wishing to overstate the case, who are, yeah. who are differently abled in various ways. But it's not a massive deal. I really like that. Yeah, it's actually quite hard to write as well uh, because I, I've tried. It, I've tried for her blindness not to define her. Yeah. So therefore, sometimes when you're writing, you'll see so t- Toto turned around, turned around and saw, and I think, well, no, she hang on, she didn't. <laughs> um, which is why Silver and Socks are such important characters because they're essentially her sidekicks and her, yes. uh, you know, and her kind of like, her guide dogs in many ways, you know. I mean, um, or guide cats. So, but I, but it was very important to me to write a book about inclusivity, and and uh, I, I, certainly in the the first book, I reference her blindness or affliction i guess a little bit more largely because i'm establishing her character but as the books go on that becomes less important and and um and i think catface was an embodiment of that as well because i wanted to create a character that's that kind of embodies the best of london as i see it and i've kind of i i based him on a friend of mine who's a born and bred (laughs) londoner i based him on uh a kind of a charming kind of rakish character like someone like Richard E. Grant or Stephen Fry. <laughs> um, so he has those elements, but he's the fact that he is uh, a rat who looks like a cat, but has been both um, accepted by cats and rats and actually is the most popular cat rat in town. I think kind of, you know, he's, he's kind of species fluid. And so he's kind of, you know, he's multiracial. And I wanted to, I wanted to use him as an example of, of, of what a terrific city I think London is and how, inclusive we are and that really comes across he's totally the character that everybody's going to want to be I yeah think. exactly yeah <laughs> it's definitely it's funny when he's definitely the character aside from the obviously the, the main characters he's definitely the other character that i think kids um engage with yeah. and he also gets a lot of laughs like, oh yes he's quite he's he's both he's d- kind of done everything and yet he is quite hapless in many ways so he's kind of often the reason why the cats find themselves in trouble in the first place yeah um him between a combination of him and silver who's toto's kind of more clumsy brother dermot we're nearly out of time i, I don't know where it's gone oh, what a shame. but um i'm sure our listeners will want to know what's next for you and for toto and, and for Catface. so let's pause again for a moment before we do i just i just want to remind the teachers and parents listening don't 
don't forget, we produce an exclusive free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom so children can take what they hear and use it to create their own brilliant writing. Um, the pack for this episode is available as they all are from plazoon.com and details are in the episode notes. That's a great idea. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I also endorse this. this <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Um, let's, yes, let's pause again for a moment and, and then we can have a quick chat about what's on the horizon. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom with today's guest, Dermot O'Leary. Um, Dermot, I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but at the end of The Mystery Jewel Thief, I think it's fair to say we're left with the impression that there are more adventures to come. Oh, yeah. So what's next for Toto and her team? Well, there's a wonderful character that I, that I well, it's not for me to say it's wonderful, but I love <laughs> writing for it, which is called Archduke Ferdicat, who is a uh, criminal genius who is um, Larry's kind of arch enemy, and yet he's incredibly charming, so it's di- very difficult to dislike him. And he thinks cats should, cat should be ruling the world. And the thing is, no one actually disagrees with him. Pretty much everyone <laughs> agrees that cats should be ruling the world and they do a better job than humans. But, um, <laughs> that, but you know, it goes against the, the ancient uh, order of, of, a, of ninja cats kind of motto which is purrs paws and claws and they you know they're there to kind of try and keep the peace so uh, he shows up in the very the last couple of pages of this book so he'll be definitely making an entrance again in in in, in book five that's brilliant i can't wait that's just about it for for this episode i think but i just wondered if you had any advice that you could share with the children who are listening of course. who you know they might be struggling with writing at the moment they might be struggling yeah. with ideas you know Give them some advice. I think the most important thing is, is I, I, when I first started writing this, I spoke to a friend of mine who's a writer and I said, listen, what advice would you give me? And he said, the most important thing, and it's going to sound so obvious, but it, but it really stuck with me and it really helped me. It's just, he said, put, just put pen to paper. The, the, okay. the one thing you shouldn't be doing is just thinking about it too much in your head and and putting off writing it. The most important thing is just to sit down and put your ideas down on paper. And don't worry if you don't think they're very good or don't worry if they're not going anywhere because by putting them down on paper, you're, you're, you're committing them almost to memory and they're there then and you can use them as a base for, for other work. And it may well be that you don't use that as your final idea, but you can just get a little nugget of, of inspiration from anything you put down. So the most important thing for me would be to just write your ideas down. And then if you can, if you've got a good idea, then just try and f- like formulate what I, what I call a story arc. So, you know, a start, a beginning and an end and what happens in those parts of the book. And then let your imagination run wild hmm. because you know where you're going. You know, you know how you, know how you want this to end. So actually the, 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 the fun part, what I try and do is to try and, I, don't, I try not to plan out the book too much. I kind of have a good idea as to where I want, the, where I want my characters to, to start, where I want them to, the crisis to come, 
and where and how I want that to, to be resolved. And actually the rest of it then I have fun and sometimes it'll come up with ideas on the spot and sometimes I'll come up with ideas that I thought I was going to include in another book. But the most important thing I can tell anyone listening is just, is just put pen to paper. That is brilliant advice, Dermot. And it sounds, it sounds like really good fun as well. Dermot, thank you so much for being our guest today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been lovely talking. Me too. It's, it's been great. And please give give my regards to Toto and Socks. I will. Obviously. She's asleep around here somewhere. Ah. And to all our listeners, thank you for being here too. I hope you enjoyed what Dermot had to say and that he's given you some ideas for your own writing and that you can join us when we're back with another episode of Author in Your Classroom. Author in Your Classroom is brought to you by Plazoom, where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATs revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible. So please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. Let us help you make it happen with Author in Your Classroom and Plazoom.